Welcome, welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast with me, Seb Lee Delisle. And me, Ian Lobb. Today's episode, we're going to reuse some of Ian's content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so basically, this is going to be a sort of part one of a two-part game design special where we're going to discuss game design, really, um, based loosely on a, a talk that I gave last year at uh, UKEY in London. Um, that's the the UK games interactive entertainment I guess um, like UK, trade body is that like UK UKIE yeah ah. and cool. yeah so it's basically I'm just going to talk about we're going to talk about some issues to do with game design but it actually applies to all forms of design I would think do you think I think it does in, mm. in not not always directly but there's often an analogue in in other sort of kinds of creative coding that you might do sure yeah i think i think there are definitely some basically where your goals are slightly different but it's the, it's the feeling isn't it and obviously yeah. i've i've made a lot of games as well in the past yep so i'm sure i'll have opinions yeah i usually do <laughs> but before we get to that let's just uh, remind our kind listeners to support us on patreon <laughs> patreon.com forward slash creative coding we're trying to raise a little bit of cash to support the podcast and keep it sustainable we're doing pretty well we've got a few supporters to whom we are extremely grateful but we could do with some more so please help us so i basically used the metaphor of the triforce from zelda which is a um a triangle made out of three triangles basically uh, to, to try is it magic and- in i've never played zelda that's pretty embarrassing uh, isn't it yeah yeah it's magic um but it's just because it's it's talking about games. I've got three things. Stick it yeah. in a tri- Triforce. Why not? So the first one being goal-based game mechanics. Second one being audiovisual th- feedback. And the last one being story world. Those were my parts of the Triforce. Um, so today we're going to talk about um, goal-based game mechanics or game mechanics in general. And then a bit about audiovisual feedback. And we'll carry that on in part two. Sure. Okay. So goal-based game mechanics i guess they're the sort of larger scale goals in the game well yeah so basically you need game mechanics that's things that you can do in your game right so that's running around jumping firing yeah people often say verbs so like yeah running jumping firing but i mean it doesn't have to be those things it can be i mean i'm going to talk about this later but it, it can be trading it can be talking it can be like all these other kinds of things that aren't to do with the physical world that mm. are like more abstractions of other kinds of processes. It's very easy to get distracted in games and just think about like objects flying around the screen, basically. And that isn't all of what games are. If you think about something like Monopoly, um, the movement of the pieces around the board is one part of the game design of Monopoly. But the actual main game mechanics of Monopoly are like the property trading and the it's got a currency system it's got some different sets that you have to build so it's got all these different game mechanics so would if you were going to use the the analogy with monopoly would you say like the main goals are like raising money and buying stuff and not going to jail and then the game mechanics are like throwing dice and moving your little hat around the squares yeah exactly so you've got um <laughs> i've got a slide here that says I have to do X so that I can do Y so that I can do Z, which is yeah. that's now this is what the player should be thinking basically. So in Monopoly, you have to move to the next, you have to move some squares 
so that you can land on properties, so that you can buy the properties, so that you can complete the sets of the properties, so that you can build houses and hotels on the properties, so that when your opponents land on the properties, you will take their money, so that ultimately you will be the last player standing and everyone else will be bankrupt. Okay, so it's like, it's it's a, a Russian dolls thing of yeah. different game mechanics and each one builds on the the higher ones build on the lower level ones basically yeah you want a game to be fun from moment to moment from minute to minute from hour to hour and from day to day or longer so monopoly is fun i mean i don't let's not get stuck on this monopoly metaphor for too monopoly. Much but like you know i don't know where's that come from even i don't know so uh you know you want a game to be fun from moment to moment so yeah in the moment when you're playing it just interacting with it should be fun in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and if it isn't, then you should work on that, basically. And then by minute-to-minute fun, it means that you're, the, the small actions that you're doing are building to some bigger thing. Yeah. And so on and so forth. And in the case of video games, a lot of them provide like a multi-hour or even multi-day or multi-week experience in the case of something like you know, like an MMO or a, a free-to-play mobile game, they want you actually to be playing this thing for months and months and and they have to think about that in the game design and, and keep um, leaving things for you to still achieve even once you've played this game for like hundreds of hours. I guess that's easier in like an MMO than it is like Candy Crush. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even Candy Crush, I would say sort of uses MMO type mechanics, like it has quests, it has... Yeah. Um, different currencies and lo- you know gates and locks and things like that. It, it has all of these like. One of my slides says that basically, if you want to sort of optimize the short term fun, you should think about something called game feel. And if you want to optimize the long term fun, you should think about something called gamification. Basically, are we now, still, game- no, hang on, we're not allowed to use that word, still, are we? I, oh, I suppose it's all right okay. for an actual game. No, I think it's okay to. I think. <laughs> I think like you. That's a generally understood term and you can say yeah. what gamification mechanics are and like they are yeah. used in other, like people actually tend not to use them really in game design a lot. But I think <laughs> it's useful to separate out the gamification mechanics from actually the the like core moment to moment gameplay. So gamification mechanics are generally mechanics which are designed to, it's things like quests, achievements, point systems, things that are designed to encourage long-term play reward you for sort of keeping going and that's why they're used often in lots of non-gaming applications i mean it, they're not as they were it was one of these things that was super fashionable a couple of years ago and like everything was gamified and stuff and now uh, <laughs> that was that, that was a bad time <laughs> <laughs> that fad sort of finished like um, it's, it's just poisoned the word really hasn't it um but I mean, game feel i mean i'm more i'm personally more interested in game feel um primarily because I, I guess I never really thought about the... Well, perhaps because I never made a game that was massive. Hmm. But I would I I would always make sure that... I think I think the, the way a game feels is really, really important. You know, I taught a game workshop and that was a big part of it. You know, how you can change the numbers and the settings, the, you know, the physics and the speed and, and all of that stuff it has, has really profound impact on how it feels Mm, and and to me that that's like the most important part of the game and i don't know i guess i guess my games have had a sort of longer term game like levels and stuff like that but that's always been very much secondary to the 
initial sort of feeling of, of whether it feels like a good responsive game. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it all depends on sort of how long the play length you're targeting are. Like, so if you were, I mean, and I'm the same, like when I used to do flash games, which was, I guess, what, what most of the games that you've done were as well, you know, you're targeting like a 20 minute experience, basically, where the players start playing, pick up the mechanics, they work their way through the levels and they've completed it and they'll share it with a friend or something. And, you know, that was generally like what we did. Now, that and that's fine. Um, and in those situations, you absolutely have to focus on game feel because that's the most important thing. But if you're making like a product that's, uh, you know, you're selling it for, say, $60 or whatever, and you're trying to provide like 20 hours of gameplay, you can't, you need these other things just as well, basically, as the get. You need to nail the game feel. Like people often talk about like the most important thing being nailing the controls like people use the word controls a lot when actually what they mean is just is the game fun from minute to minute like um or from second to second but uh yeah the gamification mechanics basically come in handy when you get when you want to lengthen the experience essentially and get people to come back maybe the next day or something one of the learning things in in the workshop was that the way a game feels was entirely down to the programmer Mm. You know, especially when often you'd be working in a team with a producer who wrote the game design document and designers who design stuff, you know, but actually making sure the game felt right isn't down to anyone else except the programmers. It's, a, it's an interesting one because the same, particularly in, in that sort of process where you've got, yeah, the producers written the game design document and the designers already designed everything in Photoshop and it's ready yeah. to go and you're just doing the last step of just putting those PNGs into the game engine and like making that fun really like it's all it all rides on you at that moment basically <laughs> to like make good decisions to like make the physics nice and snappy rather than sluggish and all of those sorts of things yeah um so there's a really good book called Game Feel by a very smart guy called Steve Swink um he would be an awesome guest actually I have to ask him but um, Steve Swink yes and that's a good name isn't it it is yeah um, and what's I, I I see this book here. Um, so it's just about all this stuff, is it? The physics yeah, and I the mean, responsiveness it, it, and it, like is, this. Book is it came not out, a bit academic? It's a little bit academic. It, I mean, yeah. he wrote it whilst he was working at a university, um, but he is also like a game designer in the commercial sector as well. But it's it's good. I mean, in these ideas weren't really very widely known or. At least people knew them intuitively, but they hadn't really been written down when he wrote this. Um, but now, like, there's loads of talks you can watch on YouTube and stuff. Um, I have a YouTube playlist that actually has loads of useful videos for game designers and stuff. And there's loads of people who talk about the same sorts of things. But um, especially at the time, it was a it was a pretty monumental book, I think. Um, so in that book, he talks about things like tuning, which is what we were just talking about, which is like just getting the right values for all of your variables. Kinesthetics, which is the feeling of movement. Uh, ergonomics, which is like making things to fit with the human body. So that's things like even how you hold your hands on the controller or on the touchscreen or things like that. Like I've been experimenting a lot with this over the last couple of days to sort of try and get the gamepad controls good for my game because it was all designed really for mostly for mouse and keys. And like switching over to a controller, I found that actually I have to do a lot of stuff with things like auto aim and stuff like that because a, a game controller, like an Xbox controller, is a really like it's not as anything like as precise an input device as a mouse and keyboard. 
So to get the sort of same user experience that you would get on a mouse and keyboard from a gamepad, yeah. you have to do loads of things like snapping to things and auto-aiming and like lots of little cheats to just make things a bit easier. But you're, you're not actually making the game easier. You're just bringing them back up to where you would with a mouse and key. So Yeah, so, so your game is primarily for consoles and computers. It's not a touch. It's just game. not a touchscreen game, yeah. no. Yeah. But I mean, in in theory, by making the right decisions, you could make it work on a touchscreen. But that's more to do with just them not having enough memory, really, to like store all the graphics and stuff. What what style of game is it? Oh, it's <sighs> Unity, isn't it? But yeah. It's I mean, 2D. We'll, talk, we'll do a whole episode about my game, I think, at some point. But um, OK, can you just give us? A- yeah, it's 2D, 2D shooter, basically, a bit like yeah. Metal Slug is probably the closest thing to it. I don't know the game, so... Uh, Okay. I'll, I'll Google it. It's fine. Uh, I mean, a good example for something like ergonomics is things like something like Fruit Ninja, where like yeah. the slashing, the slashing with your fingers mechanism is like really closely tied to the input device that you're using, basically. So it's like it's really intuitive, like for that device. And then Juice and Juice is basically just making things feel significant in the game. So that's like having lots of particle effects and nice animations and having everything be really like responsive and the world feel really interactive and everything you do has some sort of effects and you know it can be loads of things like you walk past a blade of grass and the blade of grass just wobbles as you as you walk past it yeah just to give you a sense that you're there and like when like you blow up an enemy or whatever they don't just like flash and disappear they like explode in like a really nice (laughs) shower of particles and so, so, so it's just particles. It's, the thing is, though... Juice is particles. A lot of juice is... No, I'm fully behind that. This is not... <laughs> what I found with particles, though, is that, like, coded particles are good for some things, but a lot of the time there's no substitute for, like, a hand-drawn animation. Yeah. You can get, like, a much more complex-feeling thing from actually just doing a frame-by-frame animation. In some cases, In some cases. maybe or, I'd go with that, but on the whole, I'd disagree. <laughs> or a com- or a combination. So like- yeah, I mean, I suppose if it's just a very localized, I mean, especially if you've got like a tile-based game, and the little explosion is just like one baddie disappearing, like sort of Pac-Man dying. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Sure. Why not just animate it? But I think if you want to feel like you're having an impact on the world in a larger way, then it's better to do like part- actual particles, right? Whether it's smoke coming out your spaceship out the back, or whether it's mm. Uh, an explosion that takes over the entire screen you know it'd be silly to animate that by hand no i disagree you see like you can oh geez we're gonna be in trouble now like a cell you know a traditional cell animator type person can do a really complex looking explosion with with like a really nice decay where Mm. rather than just being a set of smoke blobs it's like one big poof that like decays in a really interesting way and yeah uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think if you're <laughs> perhaps, um, but you know, you're, the danger then is that you've got a limited pool of those animations. Yeah, you're going to see it over and over. I mean, yeah, I, I think if you true. think like some of those top-down shooters, you know, like uh, our type, yeah, those sort of that sort of style, you know, and you can see those explosions just like animated bitmaps, and they look yeah. cool, but they're just the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, what you can do is you could combine like 
multiple different types of particles with some hand-drawn stuff and <laughs> different types of feedback effect. Like you can do circular ones. You can do those long, thin spikes coming out of an explosion. You can do little particles. You can do like a ring, like when the Death Star explodes in the updated versions, it has like this blast wave ring that comes out, right? Yeah. Whereas it used to just be like a shower of little tiny things. Yeah, don't um, get me started on Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, so there's so many there's so many things with juice, yeah. and there's like yeah, so particles. I think we know what there's. There's a really good video online called Juice It or Lose It, where some guys just take like a really basic implementation of Breakout, and they yeah. add loads of juice effects to it, like Brilliant. sound effects, flashing lights, screen shake, all these different things. Yeah, so, what was, there was a really good game that had sort of zero kind of play play you know the the play mechanic was really really simple and there, it was just filled with tons of juice juice i mean it was just all particles and explosions and screen shake and oh, i can't remember what it was made by popcap and it was oh yeah it was on the mobile phones and it was oh, the one was with the called? unicorn yeah peggle peggle that was it yeah that's yeah. that that game is just all juice right yeah and it's it's brilliant yeah, so so you can you can have like balancing, can't you? So you d- you don't necessarily need a really complex, sophisticated game mechanic. You can decide that your game is all you know fluff. <laughs> That's true. I mean, but ideally, you'll combine all of these things, right? You can get a certain away on juice, and yeah. you'll create a certain type of experience. But you, yeah, doesn't mean you can't also have other things going on. Um, mm. So there's a game studio called uh, Vlambia, uh, based in in Holland or the Netherlands. Um, and they have a programmer called JW, who is like a very smart guy who's um, worked out quite a lot of things to do with juice. So in uh, there's this slide of JW's shooter feel, which if you can find that one, he gave a presentation where he did the similar thing to juice it or lose it, basically, where he yeah. started out with a, a sort of very unresponsive, not that fun game. And he just added in, I think he added in 50 points of, of juice <laughs> or of shooter feel and made something. So he's got loads. So animation, sound... Um, things that aren't necessarily just to do with feed, um, like the audio visual feedback, but things that are actually to do with how you've tuned the game mechanics. So for example, how, how many hits can an enemy take before they die? Like if you make enemies take 10 hits, it's like, it's not that fun because you're not getting that feedback of like shooting things, kills, shooting the enemies, kills them. Whereas yeah. if you make them die in like one or two hits, it's much so, more responsive and y- your actions feel more significant basically. So rather than have one enemy that takes 10 hits, you could just have 10 enemies that take yeah, one hit and that's absolutely. instantly more fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is, you know, you could summarise that whole thing as, the, <laughs> as that really. Like, um, you know, and he, he look, he's looks at things like how big the, how big sprites are. So like you could make a bullet, you know, in real life, a bullet is a tiny object, right? But if you make yeah. the bullets be like almost as big as the character, you get something that feels really like, over overpowered and ridiculous and awesome like really over the top um yeah because ultimately like these things aren't simulations of anything they're you every time you make a game you're like making your own little world basically and and you decide what the rules are in that world and maybe in that world bullets are huge yeah yeah so there's loads of stuff on there i won't go for all of them screen shake is a good one that probably people have taken a little bit too far and are dialing back on um (laughs) that's where like was big on that wasn't it yeah that was one of the early ones a couple of weeks ago yeah yeah that had loads of screen shake and particles 
Yeah. I remember there was a game on the Amiga that had screen shake and it just blew my mind because I literally didn't know how they did it. I thought the monitor was actually shaking like because <laughs> no one had just you just hadn't seen it. Yeah. And then it's like there's this explosion and everything's going and I'm like, how are they doing that? That's insane. <laughs> they're They're wobbling the thing like because I guess it wasn't intuitive like how easy it is to draw everything one pixel over. Like yeah. in my mind, that was impossible basically like on computers i didn't understand that they could just do that well i think actually probably with the amiga it did take a bit of technical work to actually figure out how to do that optimally no no because if you've got a buffer though that's bigger than the screen yeah you can just move yeah, I the guess camera one pixel left and they? right yeah so yeah but it was but not, a cool yeah, effect yeah, it was. And probably, I mean, it probably would be impossible on like the Commodore 64 where the screen was blocked out into set blocks, right? Yeah, yeah. So Much harder. <laughs> um, yeah, there's loads of things, uh, but we, we won't go through all of them. But um, yeah, that's juice is good. And just... Are we going to link to his... It's a talk, is it? It's a talk, but do you know what? I I actually took these off, not a talk, but a game maker application that was his like basically his slide deck that he mm. put up so i actually went through it and copied them all down so we can we can link to that yes i think so good so an idea i talk about is possibility space which is basically like what can you do in your game um and like if you take something like uh pong what you can do is you can just move up and down and then something like space invaders you can move left and right so you can still move in one dimension but you can also shoot and then Pac-Man, you can move in, in two dimensions. You can move up and down the screen and also left and right, but you can't shoot. And then Gauntlet, you can move in all the directions and you can shoot. And so yeah. like as as sort of these video games, the early video games developed, they added in more and more possibility space um, to get to things like Robotron, which had let you move in, one, in any direction and shoot in any direction. Um, things like Mario added... Uh, more mechanics to do with like running and jumping and sliding and things like that um doom added in like strafing and things like that like moving sideways and moving around in a sort of three-dimensional space when you get to quake and then when you get to games like descent you have the the famous uh, six degrees of freedom or whatever where you can move around and you have pitch and yaw and you can do barrel rolls and all of that stuff and that's where i think it gets a little bit too far <laughs> and since then people have been dialing it back a bit and then you get back to things like cannibal where you can only jump like you only have one option yeah it was kind of like i was saying a couple of episodes ago where i can't control elite dangerous yeah because <laughs> <laughs> there's too many options yeah so what's what's the point of you thinking about this possibility space i mean isn't it obvious no, I think because some people, when they're new to designing games, maybe don't give a big enough possibility space. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter because you can have a really good game that doesn't, like Cannabolt, which has one mm. one possibility. It's fine. Yeah, that's interesting. But I mean... But you know me, I don't, I don't really see the point of studying things academically very often. <laughs> Especially something that's like... I guess yeah. it's something to think about. It's like you need to decide, yeah. like how much possibility space do we want? Do we want to make something where this is a really complex simulation where you have 200 different like parameters as the player that you can mess with or are you making something really simple with like yeah. a really simple input mechanism? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, I would just think of that as part of the game design. I wouldn't go, 
Hmm, now, what possibility space does my game require? I'd just be sure. like, well, what sort of game do I want? Do I want to be able to go left and right? Or, you know, it seems, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, really like, understand. Imagine you're in a, imagine you're in a, you're playing a game and you're in a room, right? Yeah. And in the room, there's a bed. It's like, what should you be able to do with the bed? Should be, should it be just background or should you be able to jump on it and bounce higher? Should you be able to sleep in it? Like, yeah. should you be able to turn it upside down and use it as a barricade? Should you be able to, it's like, you know, by thinking about these things, you can open up like possibilities that are going to be fun for the player ultimately. Okay. Cool. And I don't think, and just, just don't limit yourself to, I think I was saying this earlier, don't limit yourself to just having things move around on a screen, you know, think about other kinds of game mechanics, like being able to build things, being able to, um, you know, that's why Minecraft is successful, right? It doesn't just let you walk around a world. It lets you dig the world up and rebuild it in new ways. And, you know, you be creative and create your own things. Yeah. Okay. So there's a dude called Mark LeBlanc. He's a game designer. See, if you don't like academic stuff, if you don't like academic stuff, you're going to be well out of this talk. Because he came up with, yeah, he's not in Friends. He came up with eight kinds of fun. Um, And they are sensational. I'm already annoyed. (laughs) Eight kinds, like academics have to count the types of fun there are. (laughs) So, but he, he says sensation, fantasy, narrative, challenge, fellowship, discovery, expression, and submission. So it's just a different way of thinking about the world, isn't it? About games. Yeah, it's a, it's a boring way of thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's but a like, pointlessly academic way. Oh, I'm so allergic to academic study. I don't know. I mean, these are just, it's a, it's a lens, isn't it? To look at the yeah. world and you can ignore it if you want or, or not. So like, you know, a lot of people might just associate games only with challenge. It's just yeah. about, have you beaten this game? How hard is it? Can you beat, yeah. how good are you at games or whatever? But it's like, no, there's narrative. There's like telling a story within the game. There's sensation. Like, you know, a lot of the VR stuff is just, um, and even non-VR games just focus on like, how amazing is it to have these sensations, to hear these sounds and see these images? Yeah. Um, there's like fantasy, like the idea of like being able to take yourself out of your real self and, and be someone else. Um, and expression like, yeah, like I suppose that's your... like Minecraft, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or and... um, you know, Little Big Planet. Yeah, and discovery, like so, games that have a huge w- world that you can explore, and you don't know what's going to be like around the next corner, and and it's actually a, a genuine like ju- sort of feeling of going on a journey when you play the game. Um, and then fellowship, like games that let you play with other real life humans and and make friendships and things like that. So. Yeah. yeah, and then su- submission is an interesting one, which is basically like letting the game play you. Essentially, like just surrendering your conscious mind to like the sort of flow state of just uh, responding to the inputs that the game gives you. If that makes sense. Uh, not sure. I really understand. Well, things like um, you know, like a game where something appears on the screen, and when it appears, you click it. It's like it's a mindless thing, right? Yeah, but so it's just being led, your, led down a path, or yeah, exactly, just allowing yourself to just turn your mind off and do something mindless, essentially. Yeah. So there's a book called "The Art of Game Design: A Book of Lenses" by Jesse Shell, who's a very smart game designer. Yeah. Um, if you like these sorts of discussions and <laughs> what, like breaking things down into weird metaphors and making lists of different types of things. Uh, yeah, so maybe I should read. give that one a miss. I don't know. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> um, going back to gamification. Yeah. So this is sort of longer term kind of rewards. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I've talked about most of this really. There's quests, which is where basically you, what you normally do in a quest is you use, you reuse your existing mechanics, but put them in the context of like a specific task. So you might have a game where you can make money, but, and that's one of the game mechanics. And then you have a quest. It's like, you need to make $10,000 and come back to me. Uh, And sometimes they have time limits. So it's like, you need to do it within this time. And what it does is it just adds a bit of longevity to your game because you're giving people specific reasons to, to use specific game mechanics that you've already made essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, achievements was one that was like really popular a few years ago, but sort of worn off. I remember like actually for a Collecting little bit when badges and stuff. Yeah, like when Xbox Live first added their achievements, I remember actually caring about them, and it's like such a weird <laughs> to look back. It's a bit like how I used to care about how many Twitter followers I had when Twitter first started. Like I actually used to think about it, and whereas yeah. now it's like I sort of don't mind. I guess if I suddenly lost like hundreds of followers, I'd be a bit sad about it. But yeah, like I sort of. I sort of don't even think about it as a number, but I remember you, you know why Twitter, though, don't you? Why is that? Well, it's because everyone else embraced gamification as a thing, so you'd get achievements everywhere, <laughs> right? right? On even just boring websites, there'd be achievements, and so yeah. then you're just like, oh, just you became cynical. Yeah, we've had we've had gamification fatigue. I think where you, we you have. Start, you start realising that these scores actually don't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. They're not real badges. <laughs> yeah, if they were physically a badge, it would actually have more value. No. Yeah, it's one no, it's one of those things though where it's like as soon as you realise it's it's just a number on a on a computer screen, it stops actually being anything. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean you, you bought into it at first for sure. Yeah, exactly. But they killed so. the metaphor. <laughs> Um, so other kinds of gamification things you could have would be like just progression systems. Like there's a classic thing of like, people just like to see a bar going upwards or a number going upwards. Right. Um, like a bars are an interesting one because it's like, rather than a number that just goes up forever, you have a bar that you're filling up. That's going to have a set point that you get to. So it's like, Oh, well I can just get to the end of this bar. Fill up the bar. But then what happens when you filled up the bar? You just get another bar. Yeah. <laughs> don't you right like yeah you level up your character and you see the bar going up to the next level okay you've leveled up you yeah get being ba-ba, you've done it and then what happens you get another bar that's to the next level and this bar is going to take even longer to fill than the last bar did so yeah like, oh man that's that's certain i mean that's basically is like any kind of i suppose these are sort of playing on human tendencies aren't they things that yeah. feel rewarding it's like they proved psychologically that if you make a to-do list and tick items off at the end of the day then it's clinically proved to to improve uh you know anxiety and depression right yeah you know there are certain things that are are human and and i think that's like for example the, the the need to tidy up like if you think about tetris classic addictive game mm-hmm. tidying up like we like tidying up and making things neat. Yeah. That I mean that's just Tetris is one of those things that's just like 
it's such a classic game where it's just like it has no real like metaphor for what you're doing or anything no it's just a nice pattern abstract of squares it's completely abstract but yeah. it's still really fun um, but i think i think you know obviously all of the the games where you've got you know four things of a particular color to line up or whatever it's yeah. all it all goes back to tetris doesn't it it's all tidying up yeah yeah that is a, a nice mechanic like keeping keeping your little area tidy and that must go back to the dawn of humanity essentially right keeping well your- even even if you think about like um patience right in uh, a solitaire whatever you call it and yeah. you know a, a pack of cards yeah. that's tidying up reorganizing them yeah but yeah. no i'm going back to thinking about like the roots of human evolution and like organizing your berries into piles and like <laughs> organizing your cave or whatever right planting yeah. your spears i'm just it's... gonna feng shui my cave <laughs> <laughs> yeah i suppose is that i'm just trying to think of an evolutionary reason why we might well just all being organized is yeah. is one of is something that humans have right we organize ourselves socially and that's mm. one of the reasons humans are successful it's pleasing um, yeah anyway sorry i just yeah, so, derailed your talk i mean that's enough on gamification we've had a good good old chat on that one so <laughs> i think so yeah. then my next slide after that was um maslow's pyramid hi- maslow's hierarchy of needs have you ever seen this I have seen, yes, I have. So, um, but a, then I saw someone. At, at, so, so just explain what it is, and then it's I'll... a it's a really famous. It's probably the most famous bit of psychology that exists, and it basically is a pyramid where at the top you have high level needs like self actualization. Well, I'll start from the bottom. At yeah. the bottom of the base of the pyramid is your physiological needs, which is like the need to breathe, to eat, Air. to sleep, um, like the really important things. Yeah, then beyond that, the next one from that is your safety. So like staying alive. So to do that, you need to have some sort of form of income, I guess, in the modern world. You need to have um, like security, a safe place to live, security, exactly, healthcare, those sorts of things. Above that, you have love and belonging. So you need to have family and friends and, you know, lovers potentially. Um, Beyond that, you have your self-esteem. So your confidence, like ability to achieve things and and that sort of stuff. And then at the very top, you have self-actualization, which is some sort of lordy goals to do with becoming a celebrity or the American dream or (laughs) discovering, you know, splitting the atom or or doing whatever. Yeah. Um, And and of course, it's been been vandalized a few times in fun ways, isn't it? Like someone uh, scribbled Wi-Fi underneath everything. (laughs) Sure. Um... But I mean, it's just a way of thinking about the world, isn't it? It's not necessarily yeah. scientific. It's a sort of more of a philosophy, isn't it? Well, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just interesting to think of it that way, isn't it? And that you don't, if you don't have the basic security and needs and sustenance, then you're not going to be able to do any philosophical thinking. Or, no, absolutely. And, uh, and one of the, when I, was, uh, when I was doing um, teaching stuff, like one of the things we covered on my teaching course was like, you it's very hard to do the higher level self-actualization stuff that students need to do like when they're at school or university if they are their safety needs Mm. are are like not being met like if they come from a difficult home or something like that yeah um absolutely and that's a huge challenge for educators so why did you put this in your talk um just because when you're designing a game you can think about these things you can think about where does your game fit 
onto them. Now, obviously, you you can't provide people's physiological needs through a game, but you can provide other things. You can provide potentially a sense of belonging and things like that. Um, if you have like a community around your game, you can provide self-esteem to players. If um, you know, if it's they not feel, too hard. Yeah, if they feel or if good, it is too hard, and if they feel good it. about themselves, like while they're playing your game, you know, you're actually doing them a real service in in life. Yeah, all modern um, games give me no, a, a complete <laughs> lack of self-esteem and confidence. It's like I'm rubbish at them. It's interesting. Like one of the things is like I don't really get to play like that many games. Yeah, um, me neither. It's just too depressing. I'm just well. No, for me, I'm just I just don't have the time. Um, yeah, like I'm too busy. But like for. But then I'm sort of immersed in games all the time anyway. And yeah. What I try and remember is like what it was like before I worked in games where, you know, I was just a player and my life was doing my studies and things like that uh, or my boring, you know, part-time job or whatever. And the games were like my escape to something more interesting world, basically. You have more disposable time as well, don't you, when student or whatever well I don't know I did anyway and I think like you you know when I started working with computers I just you know I had less time or I was more interested in making stuff yeah it's interesting I mean if you're if you're like a maker of things like if you have a passion for coding or art or anything like sometimes a lot of those needs are met by that and you sort of don't need these things from games but like for a lot of people like who you know lots of people work in jobs that they don't really enjoy and it's like yeah. games are really important for them to like have a place where they can sort of achieve the things they want to achieve and things like yeah. that. Challenged like, to be challenged, especially if you're in a not particularly challenging role. Yeah. There's just a graph here from, <laughs> I don't know what I'm even trying to say here. Oh, I just, my next slide was just to do with uh, another way of thinking about things is like neurology. So the actual physical workings of the brain, you know, because the brain's like this big complex machine, right? And it's got electrical symbols, signals going around and it's got various chemicals going around it. And when you feel different things, you know, different chemicals are being released and things like that. And when you design your game, how you sort of tap into these different, the ways the brain works, I guess, is, is quite important. So you can have scary moments where, you know, you'll actually make cortisol or adrenaline go around someone's body and that's just a weird thing to be able to do with some pixels and some code right yeah very weird i suppose you can do that with any sort of art form though really can't you oh absolutely yeah yeah i mean mean, you could argue that art is just changing the chemical makeup of people's bodies i mean (laughs) the thing is what i found like the experience of going to an art gallery is that it never does that at all yeah i find the art galleries are such a sort of sterile setting that it's really difficult to be moved emotionally. Yeah, but if you imagine the history behind some of those spectacular artworks, like we see it, but we're we're hardened now. I mean, we see photographs and we see movies and we see VR and we see all of those things. Like if you think about two, three hundred years ago, people wouldn't have seen imagery at all, mm. except in these paintings. Yeah. So that's why it would have had those effects on people then yeah. that we don't, we can't experience and we need more sophisticated forms of art to to elicit those same reactions. Yeah, it's interesting. Like one of the things people often go on about when they're trying to deride video games is they say, oh, yeah, but a video game could never make someone cry or something. It's like one, loads of video games have already made people cry, whether that's through <laughs> frustration or, or actual sadness. Yeah. But uh, another one is that is 
being making someone cry is not even that difficult. No. Like you can do it if you look at like charity ads, like <laughs> they have it down to a thing. You take a sad situation, you add some sad music, you add some some desperate imagery and then maybe you provide some glimmer of hope at the end and you have some sort of like mechanism for just making people feel emotional, right? Yeah, and actually that's not really a particularly good measure of an art form, is it? Especially no. like gaming where, you know, I don't think the purpose of any game is to make someone sad, is it? It's it's much more to engage you, make you interested, solving problems. You know, it's it's much more of a sort of positive engagement, isn't it? Mm. I mean, well, often, you, know, I mean you, but, you, get, but you can have a sad moment in, yeah. in a happy film, for example, and the yeah. same thing with a game, right? You can have game that's overall like an exciting positive thing but sometimes we'll do something sad to make you think about the story or whatever yeah i mean i think i think in some ways games can have a really intense profound effect on people i mean they absolutely can i think i think it's really it's it's a massive horrible thing to say is that games have no validity because they don't make you cry i mean it's just stupid yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Absolutely. Um, and then just my last slide in that section. And then we'll probably we'll probably wrap it up there for yeah. time, do you think? Yeah, yeah, we can good just, time. We can do three three parts, can't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, good. It's just that this graph that Dan Cook from, um, I always forget the name of his studio, but he's a smart game designer and he just made this stupid graph with bang and buck on different axes. And basically like game mechanics are like the thing where you're going to get most bang for your buck, basically like... If you invest the time in getting your game mechanics right, that's going to be by far the most valuable place that you can investigate it it, uh, or invest your time rather than the art and so on. Yeah, so we're right back at at game feel again, aren't we, really? And being the most important thing, which I totally agree with. Absolutely. Wow, we ended an episode by agreeing with each other. Yeah, that's good. And we ended one without overrunning massively as well. I know what's going on. We actually might be getting the hang of this. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll five years later. We'll discuss. Um, I guess the next time we pick up one of these episodes, it's going to be audiovisual feedback, which is a whole another interesting area. Oh man, that's so we good. Talked a bit about, but there's no, there's so much. I mean, particularly with audio. Audio is just critical. Yeah. yeah looking forward cool. to that one. Yeah. Awesome. All right, excellent. Nice one, Ian. Excellent. Thanks a Um, lot. Okay, well, thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, cc underscore pod, our website, ccpod.co. So, you know, you're listening to us, so you've probably found us, um, but we'd love your support on Patreon. Uh, If you want to get early access to episodes, then support us at patreon.com forward slash creative coding. Yep, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Excellent. Thank you.